Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. Today is Tuesday, July 20th, and I'm the host of this episode, Emily Flippin. Today, I'm joined by one of our Motley Fool investing team interns, Hadia Noor, and we'll be talking about the restaurant industry today, taking a look at some of the dynamics of the industry, and then mentioning a few of the businesses uh, in particular and how we think they've handled the past year, as well as our expectations for the future. Hadia, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me. Oh, this is so much fun. I I love not only when we have interns at The Fool, but when they're willing to jump on and tape podcasts with us. To be clear, taping a podcast is kind of a daunting task. Um, And you have it twice as hard because in addition to taping this podcast today, you're also taping it live here on Motley Fool Live in front of a live audience. So especially stressful, but you're going to do great. Don't worry too much about it. Thanks for jumping on. Of course. And before we get into the show, um, maybe maybe let's just talk a little bit about your internship. How's it going? How do you like The Fool so far? It's been just so great. It's been a whole different kind of experience. I know the fools can vouch for this too, but I, I've told everyone I go around telling current fools that the fool is so great as if I'm pitching the company to them, knowing full well that they already work here full time. So if that gives you any idea of how I feel, there it is. Pitch to remake all of our interns, not only drink our Kool-Aid, but also spew our Kool-Aid out during podcasts. So that's great to hear. It's been chugged. <laughs> but before uh, we'll be we'll be talking about some I guess specific restaurant businesses, and I want to definitely hear your your thoughts on them. But before we do that, I guess let's talk about the restaurant industry as a whole. Hadia, I know you've spent a lot of time thinking about the industry and how they handled last year and how that changes consumption over time. When you look at the landscape, what stands out to you? Mostly, definitely the fact that restaurants adapted so quickly to pickup and delivery and curbside and literally everything in between, mostly out of force, but definitely also because they could see that demand was going that way. Apart from that, I really think there's a a serious push for healthy eating. And I think fast food restaurants, especially, they will need to keep up or they will be left behind just because people have been very conscious of the fact that health, you know, is important, especially after being inside for a year. So I'm curious to see how that'll pan out. I'm I'm mildly offended that you would imply that my fast food trips aren't healthy. I'm joking. It's definitely been something to think about, although that's been a trend that we've been experiencing over the long term. I remember talking about businesses like Domino's Pizza even five or 10 years ago and thinking, saying, well, you know, the health trend's really going to kind of work against them. But Domino's has been an absolutely amazing business to own over the last decade. And um, to some extent, I think there is definitely an increased demand for healthy food. But when somebody is not making a healthy choice, man, are they ordering a lot of pizza. <laughs> I mean, pizza can be healthy, right? There's always a light cheese option. There's the option of making yourself feel better by adding spinach. It's always there. You just got to make it work for the customer. And, and one of the things that we also saw over the pandemic, though, in addition to maybe ordering more pizza, was people just cooking at home more. We've talked about it a lot, uh, I know, on our podcast, but also I think everybody's just thought about it more over the past year. When we went into lockdown in 2020, there was a sudden emphasis on, well, 
I'm going to be buying a lot more groceries, doing a lot more cooking at home and doing less eating out. And the eating out that I am going to do, clearly I'm going to be getting it delivered or picking it up from a restaurant, going through a drive-through, something like that. Do you think these types of demographic changes, right, the demand and the way that we consume food, do you think it's going to be permanent? How do you expect that to continue to change? And how have we seen it change over the course of 2021? You know, I would love to tell, say I could tell the future. Honestly, I would love to tell the future. But who knows? Honestly, the way people have acted over just the past year, the way we're coming out of restrictions easing, just nobody really knows. Restaurants are sort of getting back and up to it because people miss the experience. People miss people. So I want to say that it'll boom a little bit again. But I do think it's largely permanent in that people do enjoy cooking more. Uh, Definitely men who picked up sourdough and everything in between, including my dad. (laughs) (laughs) And I know you have this Deloitte report here that you added to our notes. And it it is interesting They come across with some um, interesting surveys about consumption trends, I guess, with, uh, I presume it's Americans right now. And um, I guess the interest in takeout and delivery as we come back to normal, I, the, the report said something like 40% of surveyors said they'd be interested in more takeout and more delivery than they had previously. Um, how do you think that's going to impact the decisions that businesses, whether that be fast casual, fast food, or even formal dining restaurants take to reach these consumers? I think they'll just have to adapt super quickly, even if they haven't already. I think they, the emphasis on indoor dining or just dine-in options will be a lot less if not less they'll just shift their focus a little bit because i know that restaurants that adapted the quickest they thrived the most during the pandemic so seeing as the trend is going to go post-pandemic they need to be able to follow it definitely and i'd be remiss if we didn't talk at least a little bit about the labor shortages that we're experiencing across the united states right now it's impacting all businesses, again, whether that be fast food, fast casual, or full or full service. And I'm going to try to do it in a, in a way that hopefully isn't offensive to anyone, because I know that this can be a really hot button topic. And um, I think everybody you know, is, is different, I think, in what they perceive to be the problem. But given the fact that labor tends to be the biggest input, like the most expensive input into costs for restaurant, the restaurant industry, it's important to at least have a conversation about it. I'm curious what you're making of of the situation right now, which is um, really an inability to get and keep uh, lower wage workers at a lot of restaurants right now. So when I was doing my research, I think the thing that popped out the most to me was the fact that the reason there is such a big shortage isn't really anything to do with more than the fact that people are realizing their worth, I think, and the the work in itself, it can be rewarding. It's just companies aren't doing it right. They uh, Workers have been complaining forever about conditions in really hot kitchens. I mean, if you saw the Burger King walkout recently, that was really something where they rearranged the letters on their little board outside to say, sorry for the inconvenience, but we all quit. I thought that was hilarious. But I mean, naturally, it's not funny knowing where it comes from in that workers feel like they're being mistreated. And there's been a huge wave of quitting along just the entire world, let alone just the restaurant industry. So I I just think it's people realizing that they need to be treated better. And I absolutely agree. And restaurants and just whatever kind they are need to adjust. It'll be really interesting to see 
what, if anything, solves this shortage that we're experiencing today. Um, I think there's there's one half of the argument that is related to unemployment benefits, and it's an interesting one. I mean, we've seen this labor shortage come at a time where we've also extended unemployment benefits, increased unemployment better benefits, both at a federal and state level, beyond what they've been historically. I think the majority of those are of those extended benefits are expected to end in September, and um, a lot of studies have, have come out to try to predict, if you will, well, what's going to happen in September? Does this shortage magically disappear? Not magically. Does this shortage disappear with the the lack of extension of unemployment benefits? Or does this continue to persist? And they've come across with, with different conclusions. Again, I, I'm not an economist, but it'll be interesting to see what does cause the fix here, because there is certainly an aspect to it that that is associated with people simply not wanting to work under conditions that have been labor laborious, hard, hot, that Burger King example, right, with no air conditioning inside of their working um, staff. I'm not sure if that is fixed alone by increasing wages, right? That's That's a quality of life question. And I think over the past year, a lot of people have asked themselves, well, what's the quality of life that I expect from my career, especially when my, my health is at stake. Uh, or on the other hand, does it go away when, when our pandemic goes away, right? Like does the question and concerns about the quality of our health and our workplace go back to normal when we're all not scared about potentially catching an infectious disease every day? I don't know that answer, but certainly it does have a lot to do with um, questions about quality of work, wages, unemployment, even stuff like childcare, all of that goes into the equation. And it's leaving a lot up in question marks for the restaurant industry right now. It is really hard to look at and analyze businesses when you look at their biggest input price right now, which is labor, and you say to yourself, I don't know what that looks like over the next year. And, And as you mentioned earlier, it's one of those things that's virtually impossible to predict. We've, I mean, I feel like companies are relying on a combination of their incentives as well as just going out and looking for better workers, not better, but more workers to sort of work out the shortage itself. I just think it's going to take a lot more than a tuition bonus or a referral bonus to keep workers because they'll come in and out and the turnover is really high in the industry. But it's, I think it really is a matter of retaining employees through better foundations. And when you think about the labor shortage and how it impacts the restaurant industry, it, it's really three-pronged. Um, on one camp, we have fast food workers, which are often paid whatever the minimum wage is in their state or the federal minimum wage. Um, then we have fast casual. When you look at uh, brands, I think Chipotle is a good example, and we'll talk about that. Uh, but they typically pay somewhat above minimum wage, right? They're trying to decrease the turnover, and, and, they, and they can afford to do that because they're fast casual, slightly higher margin products. And then you have the the full service restaurant, which is obviously the one that has been most heavily impacted during the pandemic. We don't need to spend a ton of time talking about it because I think everybody listening can probably extrapolate uh, the impact that the last year has had on in-service dining. But these are workers that were paid tipped wages, which I believe the minimum wage for tipped workers is somewhere around 2 or $3 at the federal level. And then that supplement is made up by tips. And when you essentially turn off a tip faucet, even that headed into 2021, still significantly where below where it was in 2019, that impacts them heavily. Um, so a lot of people who are working, especially in full-service restaurants, are no longer interested in doing so. But to kick it off, let's let's talk about the first aspect, right? Let's talk about some of these fast food businesses. Um, just to ask you a personal question, 
I mean, you, I know you talked about the health trend. Maybe fast food isn't your thing. Do you have a personal favorite? Oh my God, yes. Are you kidding? Oh, Chick-fil-A every time. Chick-fil-A is an interesting example, though, because I'm sure, as you know, mentioning Chick-fil-A, part of the reason why people like their experience at Chick-fil-A so much is the customer service that they get when they go to Chick-fil-A. Yes, the chicken sandwiches are great, but it's a consistent experience. They have workers that are often friendly and engaged, and a lot of people chalk that up to the fact that they pay their workers more. They have lower turnover. It would make that makes sense. I really feel like we follow that at the full too, and it just adds up. Well, I have a personal favorite, which I'm embarrassed to admit here on this podcast, but it's if actually it's McDonald's. I'm going to cry. It's McDonald's. It's McDonald's. Emily. Let, me, let me defend myself. <laughs> I got to go, actually. <laughs> so there's two things that I like as a McDonald's consumer. We'll get to the stock. As a McDonald's consumer, um, I love their McCafe. I think if you're if you are an impressed need for some sort of coffee beverage, McDonald's does not make bad coffee. And I'll I'll defend that. I'll defend that. You can tweet at me if you want. I like the McDonald's coffee. Um, I also like their ice cream cone, the soft serve ice cream cone. If you can get it when the machine is working, it's a high quality ice cream cone. So those two things together, along with maybe an occasional chicken McNugget, that does it for me. But have you had a milkshake from Chick-fil-A? I have not. I admittedly have not. (laughs) You need to have the peach one that they have right now. It'll blow your mind. (laughs) I will take you up on that. (laughs) But for now, let's think about McDonald's because that's my personal favorite. Um, We don't really spend a lot of time talking about McDonald's on Industry Focus. uh, And it's largely because it's, if I'm frank with you, not a super exciting business model, but it's one that is so ubiquitous that it's certainly worth mentioning, especially given how they handled the pandemic. I would argue that I think McDonald's was well-positioned heading into 2020. You may disagree, but they had invested really heavily in their global supply chain as well as their technology, right? They're in the process of updating a lot of their stores. So when the pandemic happened, they were actually one of the first food businesses to roll out things like contactless delivery, local pickup, um, and more importantly, because they were so globally diversified, they had spent so much time thinking about their supply chain, they had zero break, not a single break in their supply chain for any food, packaging materials, equipment, or other solutions across the globe. I mean, we're talking about a global pandemic and you're telling me McDonald's wasn't impacted at all in terms of their supply chain. I feel like that that deserves an extra level of props here for this business. For sure, 10,000%. Though I You know, honestly, in all fairness, I do prefer McNuggets over the Chick-fil-A nuggets. So I'll give them that in that regard. I mad respect for McDonald's because they're a household name. And I think I know myself when all the restrictions were being put in place, shutdowns were happening and I wanted something quick, but I also wanted McDonald's. I figured McDonald's will be open. So And it was. You would go through a drive-thru and it was open. Maybe not 24 hours a day anymore, but it was there. It was just as reliable as a Walmart being open. There could be an apocalypse and these places just would be open because they've built a certain reputation for themselves and that really works in their favor. And I love that you call that out because... Um... 
McDonald's was a few chains where 100% of their stores remained open in the United States. So they were able to do stuff like cut their marketing spend by 70% in 2020 while still managing to grow their sales. In fact, I believe it was by June 2020, McDonald's was able to recover nearly 90% of what they were doing during the same period in 2019, in part because of that dynamic you mentioned, which was drive throughs, right? It was they're just so easily accessible, so open that. 2020 was not, well, challenging in some regard, right? They were still impacted in terms of total sales. Um, They were able to actually retain a lot of their positioning simply because they were able to be accessed easily in a way that a lot of other chains weren't. I'm, I, yep, I'm just not surprised at all. Even when the world was going up in flames and you're sitting at home going, everything's fine, I'm fine. You would think, you know what? Let's complement this experience with McNuggets. Never upset about that. I will say they they did manage to keep a lot of their 2020 momentum into 2021 in a way that I didn't quite expect. They had a relatively new CEO, CEO who joined, I believe it was in November 2019. I mean, talk about a trial by fire because this poor CEO comes in right before a global pandemic. But their early investments into modernizing their stores and investing in their tech certainly helped them last year. I have some of my own, I guess, opinions about what I think about McDonald's as an investment over the future, and and maybe hence that way we don't spend a ton of time talking about them. But what do you think about the future for McDonald's? Are you taking the over or the under? You know, I really thought for a minute that they might go under just because of the push for health and whatnot. But the thing is, some someone is always going to want something like McDonald's. And for when they do, McDonald's will be there. It's like your grandma. You can just you can rely on McDonald's being there. Yeah, I. So I don't think they're going to go under at any point. Not soon, at definitely. least. Definitely, and and certainly, I think that's the case. I, I will say, a lot of things benefit them. To your point about the fact that the health trend probably isn't going to kill McDonald's, and you see that, right? I think something like eighty-five percent of all orders picked up through a drive-through are hamburgers. I mean, that dynamic is still very present today, the same way it was 20, 30, 40, 50. 60. I can go back <laughs> however many years ago, right? Um, my issue is, and there are, I will say, before I get to my issues, there are things that I like. Again, this new CEO is more forward-looking in ways that I appreciate. I think their, their partnerships, right? The BTS meal, they're doing stuff to try to keep themselves relevant and somewhat fresh, but I don't like their franchise model. When people think McDonald's is in the business of selling hamburgers, I always remind them they're not really in the business of selling hamburgers. They're in the business of selling other franchises. And the issue is when you have 40,000 existing locations, finding new opportunities to open up productive franchises is even more challenging, which has led to really slow revenue growth historically, negative in many years. Um, And it's especially challenging for me as just competition in the fast casual space takes over. So it's definitely an interesting business. I I don't like the business model that much, even though I absolutely love the ice cream and the coffee. So anyway, it's a little little single focused for me. So for that reason, I'm I'm not interested in, in going out and buying any McDonald's stock today. That's fair. They're, they're, I definitely see their growth slowing down a little, but maybe the retention aspect and the better working conditions aspect could keep them growing. So that's where they could take a little bit from Chick-fil-A. I want to mention another fast food chain here uh, before we move on to the fast casual industry, which I think everybody always wants to talk about. Uh, but this is a little bit of a, um, a very, I guess, selfish 
pick on my part, adding this company into our outline because I love to talk about it. It's Yum Brands. I'm curious, uh, did you know, you probably knew the businesses they owned, but did you know parent company Yum Brands before prepping for this podcast? You know, I didn't. Yeah, Yum Brands is um, the owner of KFC, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell. So all of your, most of your non-McDonald's fast food chains, good chance are they they track back to Yum Brands. And um, I, I love this business, not only because I, I am a Taco Bell fan, but also because I spent um, a few years living in China where uh, Yum Brands has spun off their Chinese operations into Yum C, which is their, their Yum China brands. And I loved seeing the difference in strategy between KFC and Pizza Hut and Taco Bell, which are these fast food chains um, and in the United States versus those in comparison to China, where they're nice sit-down restaurants. Uh, so it's just, I love that dynamic. So I had to talk about it today. But I'll tell you what, I think what shocked me the most with the Yum Brands in 2020 was just what a bright spot KFC was for them. Um, sales still declined in line with the industry, but they had launched their own KFC.com, own delivery services, which actually kind of helped position them strongly, which is critical because KFC alone is nearly 50% of Yum Brands operating profit. So if something needs to succeed with this business, it's definitely the fried chicken. I, you know, funnily enough, I just did not think that KFC.com wasn't already a thing. When I saw it in the outline, I said, wait, this wasn't just assumed. They didn't already have delivery modes. So that's, that's interesting. They definitely did in China, which is why if I was forced to choose and it would not be a hard choice for me between investing in Yum Brands and Yum China, I would choose Yum China easily. I think their their supply chain, their technology, and their brand recognition is on the rise in China. Whereas in the United States, I think Pizza Hut especially is is kind of fighting an uphill battle. Taco Bell's done some stuff to keep themselves relevant. Um, KFC seems to always be there, although admittedly, I, I feel like it's still on the decline, just personal and anecdotal experience. Uh, but what actually gets me excited about Yum Brands, especially when comparing to something like McDonald's, is just how diversified their portfolio is. I have no idea if you if you knew this, Hadia, but last year they made an acquisition of a California-based fast casual burger joint, Habit Burger. It itself was a publicly traded company. Um, and they closed that acquisition at possibly the worst time. I mean, I think it was like March 2020, right when the pandemic hit and things were just starting to get hard. They had acquired Habit Burger, which was virtually all indoor dining at the time. And it it was certainly a challenging business to acquire. They could have gotten a pretty hefty discount if they had maybe waited six months. Uh, but this most recent quarter, if you look at their performance in 2021, Habit Burger is coming back with some fire behind it. So I love the optionality that exists in a business like Yum Brands, where they have this existing chain, right, driving a lot of, of, of positive operating profit, but they still have an interest in maybe expanding it, right? I think Habit Burger is the first conscious expansion Yum Brands has made in recent years. Uh, let's see if they continue to do stuff like that in the future. I'm excited for them. And we have to talk about it. We have to move on to fast casual. I mean, everybody is waiting. Let's talk about Chipotle. Um, Chipotle actually reports earnings uh, after market close today. So we're taping this on Tuesday the 20th. Uh, Chipotle reports earnings after the bell. I believe tomorrow, another Motley Fool intern, um, Graham. Graham is going to be on to talk about Chipotle earnings. So we'll get a fun kind of follow-up update on Chipotle and how their quarterly performance has been. But Hadia, how do you feel about Chipotle? As a business or just personally? 
As a business and personally, it's hard to separate the two sometimes. As a business, they've clearly done well for themselves. It's Chipotle's on the level that McDonald's is, I think, in terms of household name when it comes to quick Mexican food, I guess. Although Mexican, I say very loosely, but they have their own brand and it works for them. Personally, well, I don't want to pay extra for guac. You know, I would rather go to Moe's where it's free. I, you are the only person I've heard of who would choose Moe's over Chipotle, even if the guac is extra. But I will let you have that opinion because I did defend McDonald's. So I'll let you defend Moe's. I think what interests me about Chipotle is just heading into the pandemic, um, their relatively new CEO, Brian Nichols, who came from Taco Bell, he was the former CEO of Taco Bell, um, came into this business that was right in the middle of, I think, the great queso crisis of 2017, if you want to call it that. Again, another ingredient they introduced at a surcharge. But Nickel was very clear when he came in that he really wanted to focus on maybe a more traditional QSR strategy, which scared a lot of people. But it was including things like boosting to-go orders, boosting digital sales, um, introducing the Chipotle app, the loyalty program, and setting up second production stations, all of these things that were a deviation from what Chipotle was doing prior. And obviously, heading into 2020, all of those things were super beneficial to the business. Um, I love his focus there. It helped in 2020, but not just in 2020 alone. In 2019, so previous to the pandemic, Chipotle actually grew digital sales 88%. So this is a business that was on the rise far prior to 2020. And even thinking about the business in 2021, we talked about the labor shortage. And what's really interesting about Chipotle versus other businesses is that labor is not their most expensive input. If you look at their breakdown, it's actually just the food cost itself, which says something about the expensive food that Chipotle sources, right? All of their ethics standards that ends up being costly. But it also means that you know, labor isn't the number one price to be watching with this business. It's certainly there for Chipotle. It's certainly a dynamic we have to keep an eye on. But their supply chain is almost arguably more important because it's nearly 30% of their costs. That's, hmm. uh, you know, I'm not surprised because the guac, it all makes sense now. It really, it adds up. But I, I don't know. I'm not personally that interested in Chipotle. Just really? because of my own experience, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I will say out of all of the businesses we're going to talk about today, and I think we only have maybe one or two more that we're going to run through here, Chipotle is, for me, by far the business I am most excited about. And the one that, while I'm not a shareholder, uh, you would not have to push me to buy shares of Chipotle. In fact, I feel like part of the reason why I'm, I'm not a shareholder of Chipotle is, comes down to just a lack of proactivity on my part. I actually really love this business. Um, I really like what Nichols is doing as well. I think there was a world in which it didn't quite succeed and it hurt Chipotle's quality, but I think he's proven that you can apply a lot of the successful strategies of more fast food style restaurants with the quality of Chipotle. And you can actually get um, a combination of the two that is best suited to serve a lot of customers at a higher price point while also retaining a really high quality and high level of experience. Um, I'm really excited about Chipotle Lanes in particular, the fast food initiative. Um, while the stores have not fully, right, obviously not every Chipotle is outfitted with a, a drive through they have early tests of the drive throughs I think around 60 across the United States right now. And for the locations where they have drive through lanes, they've increased that store sales by nearly 15%. Uh, I love that. And I also love the fact that they're actually expanding more aggressively into Canada as well. Uh, 
they've been really slow to expand internationally because what requires of them to expand internationally is to create a supply chain that is really heavily focused on ethics. And it's impossible to do that in most countries and many countries across the world. So moving that supply chain into Canada proves to me that, okay, look, we've done the success in the United States. We figured out how to apply it in at least one international country, although admittedly still in North America. Maybe that means that management's going to make a more concerted effort for them to expand into new countries in the future. Either way, I still see a lot of growth ahead for Chipotle. I take it all back. Honestly, though personally, I don't like it. Not a big fan. I The business can be respected. It can be appreciated. It will definitely grow with Chipotle. And oh my goodness, if drive throughs thrived in the pandemic, I cannot imagine the success they're going to see afterwards, especially with Chipotle. I, I will also you know, move on, I guess, really quickly here. I realize I'm running out of time and I've, I've droned on about my love for Chipotle way too long in this episode. So I, I will derail myself here. Um, but let's talk a little bit about Wingstop. Uh, Wingstop is another one that we don't spend a lot of time on industry focus talking about, but feels really appropriate because we've talked about input prices being so expensive for restaurants right now. We talked about changing consumer trends. Uh, Wingstop is facing all of those challenges and another challenge, which is the price of wings. Have you heard about the craziness that is wing prices right now? I have, but I feel like I've been hearing this for years now. It's not something that's new. Either that or it just keeps fluctuating and I don't purchase wings often enough, but that's mortifying. The wing prices over the last year have nearly doubled, or I think somewhere between doubled or tripled, depending on who your supplier is. But for a business that sells wings, that is just... (laughs) devastating. And Wingstop actually had a mitigation policy in place, but they weren't prepared for such extenuating circumstances. So one of their, I guess, price mitigation strategies has actually been to to move from just wings, which is a really popular product for, for American consumers, which are really focused on white meat, to thighs. And they launched this campaign where they rename, renamed themselves, um, not really, but I guess rebranded themselves thigh stop, where they're trying to get people to buy more chicken thighs. Right? They taste the same as wings, but they're the dark meat as opposed to the white meat. And it's really interesting to see if they'll be successful in that initiative. Again, this is a business that is reporting earnings in the upcoming week. So we'll have some early indication about whether thigh stop is really going to be a, a strategy that moves the market for wing stop. Uh, but either way, I, I think this is an interesting business, definitely one to watch. Again, they're really focused on digital sales, which will also be a critical metric to see what their next quarterly report. I would love to see the direction that that goes in, because for me, the wing is an experience in itself. I could not get the same experience from a thigh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly, if you had me, I, I believe this in the bottom of my heart, if you had me taste a wing and a thigh, both of which have been fried and breaded or, or whatever, right, by Wingstop, I am not confident I could tell the difference. I tend to be bullish on the idea that consumers aren't necessarily going to tell the difference either, but it's really interesting when you get into the weeds, and we, we don't have time here, but I encourage everybody, go out of your way to read some of the reports about Americans' preferences for white meat. It traces back really long. We have a long history in the United States of really having a heavy focus on white meat chicken in particular. Um, the, the McDonald's craze were right. They, they, they said their chicken nuggets are now made with 100% white meat because there was a backlash that the chicken McNugget was not made with all white meat. They had the dark meat in there as well. So trying to convince consumers to that 
they like dark meat. Dark meat's just as good as white meats will be really interesting. I, I personally love thighs, so I feel like it can't be, they're more flavorful. I don't understand why. Okay. I, I won't, I won't go into it too much, but it's the extra fat. It makes it more flavorful. <laughs> I'm convinced they should have at least some level of success, which should help them keep that cost down. But talk about a challenging spot to be in for Wingstop, right? You have the labor issues, you have consumption issues, right? Competition coming out of 2021, and then you pile on wing prices on top of it. Not a great time for them right now, but they've been making the most. And lastly, I guess let's talk about at least one full service restaurant. Uh, I know we mentioned it at the top of the show. We have fast food, fast casual. Have to talk at least a little bit about full service, although it's an it's an outdated story at this point. Um, let's talk about Darden. Um, Darden ticker is DRI. They're the parent company of restaurants like Longhorn Steakhouse and Olive Garden and the Capitol Grill. You can hear those names and immediately know to yourself how they did last year. I mean, talk about poor Darden. Again, business that was essentially turned off like a light switch during the pandemic. But they did pivot. They they not only suspended their dividend, but they actually did a lot of interesting dynamics, especially with Olive Garden, um, trying to sell more like frozen meals, trying to sell more to-go meals. They, they did a lot to try to retain their audience. So I'm not... I'm not as bearish on the future of Darden. I will say Olive Garden recently had one of their best days ever in terms of total sales, and that was still focused heavily on to-go. So maybe you can make some argument here that they've engaged with a new type of consumer that's going to continue to order to-go, as well as an existing consumer that's going to be dining in, and that can help them long-term. But when I hear those names, personally, I'm just not as excited about their futures, especially not in comparison to Thigh Stop and Chipotle. That is very, very interesting. I did not see Olive Garden being successful in the to-go sector at all, because when you go to Olive Garden, you go for the experience. And well, when I say experience, I really just mean for the free breadsticks. And I don't know if that's a big thing in their to-go part but if it is then i yeah although i again i guess like chipotle and wingstop they have places to expand into i don't think darden really has that yeah i agree i think what to some extent it will be acquiring businesses but the problem is is that they are so heavily invested in what are really large format large scale stores that require a ton again of labor and while we talk about the labor shortage and impact it's had on 2021 to an extent in 2020. That's true. But we're also talking about labor in general, which has become increasingly expensive over the last decade or so. This was a conversation even prior to the pandemic is, okay, well, labor costs are going to go up. How are these businesses going to handle that? And I think it's easier for the fast food and the fast casual businesses of the world, which have done more to engage with technology, right? Have done more to, to manage their prices than it is for full-service restaurants, which depend so heavily on things like tipped workers. So it is more challenging. I will say, I always downplay, I guess, some of these legacy businesses. It's easy for me to kind of sit here as a millennial and say, well, you know, who's going to Longhorn Steakhouse anymore? Uh, The answer is a a lot of people. And I think a lot of investors and businesses like Darden do so because it's predictable, it's cash generating, they have a steady dividend. So while I personally may not be a shareholder and I may not be interested in buying shares, I can understand that for a certain type of investor out there, maybe somebody who's listening today, they may feel differently. For sure. it's de- They're definitely a reliable umbrella of companies. They're just boring, so it doesn't <laughs> seem as exciting, but they're very reliable. 
Very true. Well, Hadia, thank you so much for joining for today's episode. Again, I know this is challenging. Um, I, I do not envy your position at all, but you've done an amazing job. Again, thank you for joining and thank you for joining us for your internship this year as well. I hope the rest of it's just as enjoyable as the beginning of it. Thank you for having me. This was great. I don't think I took any oxygen at all in the last 40 minutes, but apart from that, great. Stellar. (laughs) Awesome. Well, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or just want to reach out to say hi, feel free to shoot us an email at industryfocusatfool.com or tweet at us at mfindustryfocus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for his work behind the screen today. For Hadia Noor, I'm Emily Flippin. Thanks for listening and Fool on! Fool on!